Hey guys, welcome back to. It's cold again. Lord have mercy. You came up with Sorry. this thing. I need to write that down. I keep forgetting what it is. Lord have mercy. <laughs> Hi everyone, welcome to who knows what number episode it is of Lord have mercy in the same vein of who knows what day of lockdown we currently at. Um, I am very lucky to have our first in-person guest. So those of you who've been following along will know that Claire and I have actually yet to even record one of our own podcasts or in fact have any meeting in the same space as I sit in Johannesburg and Claire is in Cape Town. Uh, but today a good friend of mine, Hayley Mackay, is up in Joburg just before she heads off to the UK to study a master's in the history of war at King's College, London, which is amazing. So while she is here, um, I'm going to wrap her, um, well, pick her brain on some labor law issues because in a different lifetime, Haley already completed a master's in labor law in Pretoria. So we have been dealing with so many queries at the moment from, from a lot of clients and a lot of our social media base around labor law specifically regarding the process of retrenchment so we thought why not just get on a call and uh well on this podcast and chat through some of the most frequently asked questions from an expert but also um just to talk about some of the the real stories that we've had so Haley, thank you so much for coming welcome to lord have mercy hi everyone and yeah so we we're gonna get right into it i want to share a few of the stories that i have been dealing with with some clients during this time. And it's been really weird for me because a lot of the stuff is quite straightforward, I think. And obviously that's because of my knowledge of the law, but also stuff that's very freely available on the internet. But it's been really um, shocking and also quite uh, disappointing to see that um, so many people have signed contracts where the contracts are actually not correct in law, um, but are now being held to that and, and think that they might not have a position to um, argue against it. So Haley is going to chat to us a bit now about the, some of the myths around retrenchment and what we should or shouldn't be doing. And I guess maybe the first place to start is to unpack what exactly is retrenchment. Maybe people don't realize that. I know um, many of the people that, that we've chatted to have been um, under the assumption or the impression, whether that's from the employer or just from you know their general um, life, that a retrenchment is usually when things are going really badly for the company. And especially now with COVID and economic downturn, there's a lot of companies that are feeling pressure. But that remind me if I'm incorrect here, but a retrenchment doesn't necessarily have to happen in a negative financial time. No, not at all. A retrenchment can be for any um, reason that the company deems necessary to change things up. So it could be um, technology changes, they've found robots that can replace you, they've found quicker systems that require less people, or even if they just want to have um, bigger profits and less losses. That's a really interesting point because especially now everybody's talking about fourth industrial revolution and automation and, and you know, are, are the robots coming to take our jobs? And maybe this is quite a um, a real consideration to think about is the fact that a company could potentially say we need to reduce our workforce because we found faster or cheaper methods of doing it that don't actually even require human beings anymore. Yes, that's definitely a possibility that will probably happen more and more in the future because 
um, compared to, to humans without sounding doom and gloom, that robots um, don't require leave, they don't require pay, they can work 24 hours a day. So it obviously is an enticing, if the job can be automated, why wouldn't they want to do it? Yeah, and I'm probably we'll see a, quite a big spike, I guess, in companies that are actually doing pretty well, especially the tech companies that can leverage technology. I mean, we've just um, started the process of um, developing a bot that, that will be able to automate some of our answers and some of the advice that we've been given. And this is something, you know, we don't even have a single employee. So it's not even that we're replacing mm. an employee. It's just that we are kind of doing it from the outset. And I didn't really even consider that from a human point of view that, Yes, there is a human being that could do the job, but for us from a company, especially a startup and that's bootstrapping it, it makes the most financial sense for us to to keep things as automated as possible. Um, so that that kind of then deals with the whole fact of, okay, well, whether or not the company is doing it for economic reasons in terms of reducing losses or increasing profits, um, there's still the same process that needs to be followed for, for any retrenchment. Um, so in, in that case, what, what is that process? What does that look like? If, if I was a company that maybe did employ somebody and I can no longer afford to keep them on, or like you said, I just want to automate their role, what would be the ideal way of, of going about doing that? Well, the Labor Relations Act actually spells it out quite easily and quite in an easy-to-read fashion compared to most legislation. So the starting point is always Section 189 of the Labor Relations Act. And then depending on the size of the company and the amount of retrenchments that have, have, have happened in the past, you would look at Section 190, Big Capital A, also in the Labor Relations Act. So it's it all, it, essentially all the processes start with issuing a Section 189 letter to your employees, where you tell them you are thinking about retrenching. Companies can't unilaterally make the decision to dismiss you. They have to first engage with you, and that's what this, this letter does. It introduces the employees who would have probably been a bit blindsided by this thought process to the possibility of a retrenchment, and then that is when the consultation, the, the consultation, maybe some sort of consensus-seeking thing could happen, but there doesn't have to be consensus-seeking in a retrenchment. Just employees are then given an opportunity to propose some ideas as to the problems that the company is facing and the employees can also get an idea of where they stand with the retrenchment. They can either be told if they're going to be offered payments and how much and how long it will take, whether it's going to take a number of years as a retrenchment process because in big companies it does, how big the structural changes, whether so they can get like a heads up as to whether their role is going to be affected. So section 189, uh, bracket 3, details what must be in this letter. Um, so there's no room for anyone to go, oh, I don't know what to put. It's all there for you. Mm. So I would, if you, if you receive a 189 or if you want to draft a 189, just go to that section and it tells you exactly what is needed. So two things there that I thought was is, is very important to maybe just unpack a bit is one, that it can't be a unilateral process. And that was probably the biggest shock that I've had in the last couple of months where um, I had a client who'd been working at a company for over 20 years and uh, was dealing with, let's call it a severance, mm -hmm. you know, the termination of that employment. And I was very confused because when I was consulting with him, he was talking to me about, you know, he's working his two months notice. And I said, but you haven't resigned, have you? And he says, no, no, no. Um, the company is, they gave him his two months notice. And 
I said to him, there's some confusion going on here because there's no way that I know that a company can give you notice that you either have to be fired or retrenched or there has to be a mutual you know, termination or, of course, you, you resign. And he said, no, it's, it, the, the company can give me my two notice. And he showed me a contract, um, which obviously the company had drafted, and where it said that specifically, that either party can terminate this relationship, this employment relationship, on two months' notice. Now... That is not a valid um, clause in law. Mm-hmm. Of course, that doesn't stop an employer from putting that in there and from an employee believing it. And why wouldn't you? Yeah. So that that was really um, difficult because I then had to go quite a few steps back and actually tell him what I think they're trying to do is retrench you. But I think that they're trying to do it in a way that you don't get paid out. Obviously, somebody who's working at a company for 20 years stands to to get paid out quite a significant retrenchment package. And that's what I wanted to, to elaborate on now is why why do people get paid different retrenchment packages? Because some people I know have said, you know, they get paid one week for every year and other people have been paid quite a significant um, amount. So what, what, what allows you to decide what you can pay somebody and what you can't pay somebody when they're being retrenched? Just before I answer that, Sunil, just to go back to the unilateral thing, just to make it very clear to everyone. Um, when it comes to the decision to retrench, as long as it's legitimate reasons, then the company can unilaterally decide that decision, but they would have always have had to engage with the employees. So that's just an important thing to remember, that, that even if you come with a really good suggestion as to how to save the company, if the company doesn't feel as viable, then they can still make a decision to retrench as long as they follow the process correctly. Then going to to severance payment, the rule is in the... Um, Labor Relations Act and the Basic Conditions of Employment Act is you are entitled to one year's, sorry, one week's salary per one year completed work. Mm. So that's the absolute minimum that you have to receive. Obviously, if you're entitled to any leave and if they choose and, and any notice period that's required, often companies just go, well, it's fine, you don't have to work your notice period and they pay you extra money as well. Um, so that's the absolute minimum that you're entitled to. Then other companies just unilaterally decide just to pay more because they understand it's quite a um, difficult thing to be retrenched, especially if it's unexpected. But that's that's purely a prerogative unless negotiated that the company can take. Then when it, some people are also offered voluntary severance packages, and that often has a um, it's a it's an incentive to take it so that they can avoid going through the whole retrenchment process and then they generally offer you more than the basic that they're willing to offer so that's the different payments that you can receive i think we've had probably a handful i think queries relating to voluntary severance packages and that's quite an interesting thing for me as well because there also seems to be this muddling of this idea that a voluntary severance package is always linked to retrenchment. So, for example, if you are in a company that is going through this retrenchment process, whether as an employee or the employee, that there's always going to be that opportunity to take a voluntary package. And people kind of identify this um, bonus payment or this extra mm-hmm. payment and, and saying, you know, if I want to, to get that extra payment, I'm going to put my hand up. Um, a few things to just debunk about that whole whole process is one, a company doesn't have to offer a specific person the voluntary severance package. So often what will happen is people will say, you know, we, we need to retrench people for the following reasons and um, 
before we go through that process, we would like people to come forward if they would like to to go this voluntary severance package route. And some people might say, that's great because I actually want to leave this company anyway. In fact, I've already got a job lined up, so I'm going to take this voluntary severance package and, and get an extra payment. But again, it's completely in the company's um, decision to say, well, we do not want to offer you the voluntary severance package. So it's not to say that um, you know, just because that might be an option that, that you necessarily would, would benefit from it. And the second thing is that a voluntary severance package, the, the package relates to um, the payout that you might receive. But really what that is, is a mutual termination agreement. So as we were saying, a company cannot unilaterally decide to, to terminate your contract. What you would do is you would say, um, either you would be fired and, and go through the correct process there, you would go through retrenchment in the correct process, or you would voluntarily resign from the company. So another option there is to say, the two of us, whether we are going through retrenchment, whether we're going through restructuring, we are going to decide to part ways and this is the offer that we'll put forward. So again, the company is more likely to present you with an agreement than you are to present them with an agreement as an employee. And that will stipulate that um, we are coming to a mutual understanding and the usual clauses that are built in there um, or the parts of the agreement that are built in there would say things like, we're going to pay you this this exit package um, we are not going to sue each other. So we are not going to now escalate this to the CCMA. We're not going to um, take each other to court in another forum. And usually um, it will contain a confidentiality clause to say that we are both entering into this agreement in good faith and you are now not going to disclose to another person that, oh, they paid me 500,000 rand to leave the company. You should You should also be doing that. So just important to understand that there is a difference. A lot of people have approached us to say that they feel that the process that has been followed um, in, in coming to this termination of the employment has been unfair. And when we've gone back and investigated it, it actually turns out it's not a retrenchment. It is actually a voluntary um, severance or a mutual termination. And there, the, the usual rules of contract apply which the most important thing is that each party is able to enter to agreement um, as long as obviously they, they have the right capacity. So assuming here they're two adults, they, they will accompany and an, and an adult um, and they're approaching things from, from equal footing. What they agree to is what they agree to. That doesn't mean you don't have room to negotiate and it doesn't mean that you can't get legal advice. Um, because in fact, we, we encourage that. We always encourage people to, to look at everything as a negotiation. So um, if you're looking at certain things and you think that, well, I think I could get a higher severance pay or I think I should be able to do the following or whatever it is, you can always structure it in a way that, that feels um, fair. The next question though is what happens if things aren't fair? And in that case, like I said, you, you're following a contract process. So once both parties sign that agreement, well, before you sign that agreement, you need to make damn sure that you are happy with it. Um, but if an unfair process has been followed in terms of, you know, we, we can cover the issue about an unfair dismissal um, if you've been fired in a, in a different session. But in, in this case, if, if an employee feels that they have been unfairly retrenched, what rights do they have? Would they have to then go to court and, and get a lawyer and, and sue that company? Or, you know, at what point does the CCMA come into to play and what, what's the process like to follow that route? Well, I'm going to answer the question on the basis that it's just a single, it's a small retrenchment, not a large yes. retrenchment. And then the, the person affected must just go to the CCMA within 30 days. 
of them receiving what they believe is an unfair retrenchment notice. The CCMA, I've, I've dealt with a number of cases and they deal with, they, they do look at the retrenchment rather holistically. If it's a, the example is a domestic worker being retrenched, they understand that the employer is also just as ignorant about the law as the domestic worker and all they really insist that because it's a very, it's a single household, like well, there's not really anything to negotiate. As long as they pay a retrenchment, um, the severance pay, they don't really look at the process too much. And then with other, if the process is completely ignored, then an employee can get up to 12 months um, compensation or be reinstated, but it depends on the circumstances of the company and the CCMA is very good at looking at that. If the company has been shut down, they know they can't order reinstatement, but they can order 12 months compensation. And then other examples are if the company has genuinely tried their best, but they've made like a little mistake in terms of the process, they're not going to um, penalize them too much. So just to unpack what the CCMA even is, a lot of people throw the word out, CCMA, CCMA, but that those letters actually are very meaningful in terms of understanding the process in the in the sense that it's it's dealing with conciliation and mediation and arbitration so that's the you know cma part of it which means that the ccma is not a body that's there to it's not a union that is advocating on behalf of the employee and it's also not um you know big corporate council that that's advocating on behalf of the companies and the process there is that you approach the ccma as that, as the company, as the individuals, there aren't lawyers involved, you present your case and then the um, whoever's hearing it will then decide, well, based on the information presented to me, and obviously there'd be opportunities as well for them to ask other questions um, to be able to then say to the person, actually, I think that this is the fair way of doing it. So for example, sometimes people believe that they are going to wait for their retrenchment to be complete, knowing full well that the process was unfair, and then get a bonus payment out of the CCMA, like a, a punitive or a punishing kind of payment. But again, in my experience, um, and, and looking at some of the, the case law that we have around the topic, the, the CCMA, like Haley said, is very, um, you know, has a very holistic approach. So even if the company has erred a bit in terms of the process and they've made a payment of say six months and 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 but the process hasn't been followed the ccma will consider that and say well actually maybe the process could have been followed a bit better so we think that you need to pay an extra month or maybe an extra two months it's not necessary to say oh one step was missed so now you must pay the full 12 months and i think people need to also understand that that this is not a way to just um you know, sap a company out of out of money, especially as Haley said, if the reason for retrenchment is the fact that there's um, an economic downturn, if the fact that the company is either closing down departments or closing down the whole business itself. So something just to be mindful of. That said, it's not to say that you are without any recourse if you go to the CCMA and you even aren't awarded a, a an amount in your favor or you, you feel that your retrenchment is just not enough in order for you to even you know, pay your bills. At the end of the day, a lot of people lose their jobs without any any job lined up um, or even the potential to get a job. And that's where it's important to understand your UIF benefit. So we, we have spoken about this in the context of domestic worker agreements and the importance um, for all employers and employees to contribute to that fund. So you would probably notice if you're an employee that there's a UIF deduction. It's 1% of your salary and your employer then pays 
um, another 1%, that said, your contribution is actually deducted from your salary. So you, you wouldn't have recalled actually going and depositing money into the UIF fund. But when it comes down to retrenchment, you are then able to go to the, the UIF offices and complete the forms and um, be able to claim a portion of your, your salary back as a, as a payment. You then obviously have to be an active job seeker. So it's not, a, it's not an option for you to just claim money from the UIF and, and then never um, be able to, to get it, well, never make any attempts to um, get a job. But another thing that maybe people don't know or aren't aware of is that you can also approach the UIF if you haven't been retrenched but because of all these reasons that we've mentioned, things have adjusted somewhat in your working life. So some people have also approached us where um, a company has been struggling and the, one of the options to avoid retrenchment, because something that we probably should have mentioned at the outset is that retrenchment was always be considered as a last resort. So you look at certain things like, is it better to say to somebody, we can reduce your working hours and then in doing so reduce your salary? Now, that might be something that is quite beneficial to both both people. And if that happens, it also then opens you up to the opportunity of going to the UIF and claiming a percentage of your salary back as well um, to just tie it over. And that's something to, to be mindful of as well is, again, everything that needs to happen needs to be in consultation with you and in agreement with you. So uh, an employer cannot unilaterally just decide to change your salary, but then keep your working hours the same. And we've, we've also seen a few few of those things happen. So there's a lot to discuss around employment and it's something that affects most people. Um, but definitely the thing that, that's been coming out for us is um, the issue of um, retrenchment and whether or not it's fair or not fair. And we, Hayley, you mentioned two things. You mentioned the Basic Conditions of Employment Act and the Labor Relations mm-hmm. Act that sets out your rights and your obligations as an employer and employee. Mm-hmm. How easily available is it to access those documents? Oh, it's incredibly easy. You can just type in the name either. You can even type in the LRA or the BCA, just the acronyms, and it'll come up. I'll just type it out. The government has all the pieces of legislation on their web pages, as do a number of other organizations, all for free. So we are going to put those hyperlinks um, because as easy as it is to Google, we know that not everybody wants to do that. So we will do that. But what I've also found helpful, both when I um, worked in corporate and went through my own employment issues, was the CCMA website itself. I found that they've also put a lot of um, the resources there. And like Hayley mentioned, certain numbers of, of acts. Um, it, you can save yourself some time by, by looking at the relevant um, headings on, on the CCMA website. So we are definitely going to need to unpack more of this in, in another, another episode, um, but we think that we've covered the, the ins and outs of it. So just to say thank you to Haley, um, I think you are off to a much more exciting adventure than talking about employment issues, but we appreciate your time and your knowledge on, on this topic. Thanks for having me. So thanks so much for listening to this episode of Lord Have Mercy and we look forward to chatting to you all again soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Lord Have Mercy. If you've got a story to share or need a legal hand with anything, visit poplaw.coza where we believe in making law for everyone.